0: Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series of messages on the book of Zechariah were recorded in Malaysia a number of years ago. Be sure to get a copy of Kevin's newly released commentaries on the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, the book of Ezekiel, and the Minor Prophets. Available in paperback and earback formats from amazon.com and as immediate PDF downloads from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Working out our time here, spend a bit more time on some of the uh, 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 cl- uh, clearer visions here. So turn in your notes to page 7. So page 7 in your notes and we're going to pick up uh, for a moment here the first uh, the first section. Right, so page 7 we're going to number 6 now and we've got section and chapter outline and under number, uh, number 1 we've got section 1 introduction. Alright so I want to read Zechariah chapter 1 verses 1 through to 6 and just uh, give you a few thoughts and a few additional scriptures here. So all well, right, Zechariah chapter 1 we're told in the 8th month and the 2nd year of Darius. So, so to keep that in mind we've looked at Darius in you know, Cyrus and Darius, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. So Daniel's down in Babylon and he's receiving things from the Lord about that time, the 70-week prophecy and so forth. And so here Zechariah is up in Jerusalem. So God's working on both ends. So it says uh, in the eighth month, the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord. Now we've already referred to that. The word of the Lord came to the prophets. They were not the word personified, but they—the word came to them. In fact, uh, some some even say the word of the Lord came to them. It's like a—I uh, think the Hebrew is a memra, uh, It was an appearance of Christ as a pre-incarnate Word. Um, so unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, the prophet, saying. The Lord has been sore displeased or very angry with your fathers. Now, remember the seven. There's a remnant that's come out of Babylon, gone to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the temple, trying to rebuild the city. And uh, the, these two prophets, along with Haggai, uh, encouraging the people. So, uh, verse 2 The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets priests, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from evil ways and evil deeds, but they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? The prophets, do they live forever? Yet, surely in my words and my statutes, which I've commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? And they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us, according to our ways and according to our deeds so He has dealt with us all right now I'd like just to uh, give you a couple of two or three scriptures particularly on this area of the prophets so turn over to Hebrews chapter 1 Hebrews chapter 1 these are a couple of additional scriptures you can put in Hebrews chapter 1 and uh, just to be honest with you when I was younger I thought the prophets were the most boring books in the Bible anybody identify with that are you telling me the truth, you lying spirit? Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what they were talking about. But, uh, they are space cadets. <laughs> but the more I study the word, say, wow, well, the prophets have a lot to say. Okay, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And it says, God, who at sundry times or various times and in various ways, divers uh, manners, spoke in time past, to the fathers by his prophets, but in these last days he's spoken unto us in his Son. So main thing I want you to pick up there: God spoke by the prophets. So in, ta- uh, in times past, sundry times, divers manners, various ways, God spoke by the prophets. In fact, the I think the Hebrew thought there is uh, the Greek thought. Pardon me. Divers manners, fragmentary manners, different ways and different uh, means. God spoke. So issues. God spoke by the prophets. God is speaking to us by Zechariah. Turn over to Second Peter, another scripture on the prophet. Second Peter chapter one and uh, verse twenty and twenty-one. Uh, you can add this to notes. So Peter says, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not, uh, never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, as we read the prophets, Zechariah, Haggai, any of these prophets, Daniel, we're going to realize the prophecy did not come by their own will. They didn't make it up. Holy men of God spake as they were moved, energized, empowered, driven along by the Holy Spirit. And then one other scripture from First Peter, First Peter, chapter one. So God spoke by the prophets prophecy came not by the will of man, it came by the will of God. Uh, the Spirit produced the word. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. so the Spirit produced the word. and then one other one here uh, what the New Testament apostles say about the prophets. First Peter chapter 1 and uh, we'll pick up in verse nine just to lead into it. Uh, receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls of this salvation the prophets have uh, inquired and searched diligently or carefully who prophesied of the grace uh, would come unto you searching what or what manner of time so the prophets really didn't understand their prophecy, searching what, what does my prophecy mean uh, manner of time is it for my generation or is it for another generation so the prophets going through this as the word of the Lord came to them. So uh, we searched uh, diligently, carefully, and prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what? What did it mean? You know, when Joel prophesied, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Daniel what does it all mean and uh, Isaiah the lame shall leap as the heart, the eyes of the blind will be opened. So the prophets did not always understand their own prophecies. So searching what? What does it really mean? And then they didn't always understand the time element. What manner of time? Was it for their generation? Is it for another generation? Or is it for the uh, time of the end? Whatever. So time element. They didn't always understand. The Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating or signifying When he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, and verse 12 is a very key verse, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, and we can safely say only, not only to themselves or to their generation only, but to us. They were ministering the things. Which now have been reported to you through the whole, through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So, very important the scriptures of prophets were men of all times. They were men for all generations. They spoke to their generation, but because truth is eternal, there's also application to us. All right. So, God spoke by the prophets. Uh, the, the the word came not by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved and energized by the Spirit and the prophets not only spake for their generation they spoke for all generations. Alright so we just need to keep that in mind say, as we work through the prophet Zechariah and some of the things we want to mention later on. Alright let's go back to Zechariah chapter 1 again. Now the first section here is you've got in your notes, it's a call to repentance, so the word of the Lord it's come to the remnant as we uh, return to Jerusalem and it's actually a call to repentance. Put down, um, without turn to this, or I'm not going to get too far, put down Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 9 under call to repentance. Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 9. And Jeremiah chapter 35 verse 15. So Second Chronicles 30 verse 9 and Jeremiah 35 verse 15. And what you'll find over and over again in the Prophets, Isaiah, and especially Jeremiah, they always use this expression, what the Lord says. Turn ye unto me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. And then the Lord says, "I want you to return." And they returned and said, "So return." So uh, it, uh, it's 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 the whole thought of repentance. So here it is like the 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 prophets and the, as as Zachariah said, "Look, your fathers uh, they didn't listen to the former prophets. So your fathers, and I call to them, turn to me, and I will turn to you." So it's like what has happened. Uh, the the older generation that went in Babylon captivity, they turned their back on God. So turned, uh, they're, they're walking away from God with their back towards God. So God is saying, turn unto me. Or return, re- reposition again, turn to me again. So turn to me and I will turn to you. So one of the prophets say, well, because they hid their face from me, I will hide my face from you. And you know, it's a tough principle to say, but we have to say, God will be to us what we are to him. Great principles. You forgive, I'll forgive. You don't forgive, I won't forgive. You draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So it's a principle of God. God will be to us what we are to so, him. So the prophets are saying, Turn to the Lord and I will turn you. So to turn, it actually is repentance. So it's a change of mind and a right about face turn. So I'm facing this way with my back toward God. I'm walking away from God. And God says, Turn, turn unto me. So it's right about turn. And instead of with my back toward God, going away from God, I am now coming to God. And as God, uh, you, I turn to God, God says, I'll turn again to you. So you turn your back on God, God will turn His back on you. That's just a biblical principle. All right, so that's uh, the whole call to repentance. Now, once you're noted in verse 4 Zechariah chapter uh, chapter 1, chapter one, he says, "Be not, Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, now, just want you to have a uh, quick sort of overview here of what's happening on, on this whole issue of the prophets and, and where we are with the Zechariah situation. As you, as you go through the prophetic books here, maybe we can put it this way. Hold this. Uh, when we're talking about the former prophets, so let's put over here the former prophets. So he's reproving them about that their fathers' different didn't, didn't listens and former prophets. And if you go through your, uh, just the Bible at the, at, uh, at the beginning there, these prophets are what we call pre exilic prophets, prophets before the Babylonian exile, so pre exilic prophets. And uh, I'm not going to put them all down, but you would include, uh, and I'll just say the, these here, uh, you'd have to get it from your Bible. You've got Hosea, and then Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naaman, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, particularly Isaiah and Jeremiah. So all these are pre-exilic prophets, so whole list of prophets, pre-exilic prophets, so former prophets. And then in the exile, so these are the exile exilic prophets. Two major exilic prophets here. Ezekiel, as we've already mentioned, he's down in, in Babylon amongst the captives. He has his own house there. The people come to him, the word of the Lord. So Ezekiel's in Babylon. And then Daniel is also an exilic prophet. So he's in the palace with Nebuchadnezzar, Silas, and so forth. So uh, three exilic prophets. And so when he says, you, Your fathers didn't listen. To the former prophets, Isaiah Jeremiah particularly didn't listen. That's why they went into a Assyrian captivity, Babylon captivity. Then we have the exilic prophets. And now we come uh, to the post-exilic prophets. And uh, here we have uh, the, uh, the, three, uh, the three major ones here. We have Haggai, Zechariah, who we're looking at. And then we have the last of the prophets, Malachi. Now, what is happening here, see, so these are the last three prophets, and the last one is going to be uh, Haggai, and so from here, after Malachi, we put him here, as we saw that 400 silent years, uh, Malachi prophesies about BC 408, and after him, there's no more prophets, so this is the period when they refer to uh, as the 400 approximate silent years. When God ceased to speak, and it's like God said, look, I've given you all these prophets over the years, and that's what he says through Jeremiah. I sent the prophets rising to you early, and sending them, and and speaking to you, and you didn't listen, you turned your back on the prophets. So no use me saying anymore, I've given you all the books, referred to the prophets. So right from Malachi, right through these 400 silent years, till John the Baptist, who now becomes the last of the Old Prophets and introduces Jesus, the Messiah, in fulfillment of the Seventy Week prophecy? So you just got to see that picture somewhere when they're talking this way. So former prophets, you didn't listen to them. And then he goes on to reprove them and say, uh, where are your fathers? They're dead, they've been in captivity. Where are the former prophets? They've gone from the sea, they've passed from the sea, but he said, even though the prophets have gone, my words and my statutes are, uh, are still remain. So we've got to add that now. Two other things you can put in this period. These books here, uh, we're looking at one of them, are uh, referred to as the Restoration Books. So Restoration Books. And there were six Restoration Books, three historical. Uh, I'll put this here just historical. Three historical and then three prophetical books. So at the historical books that are all in this setting would be Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. They're the historical books, and Nehemiah deals with the building of the walls, Ezra deals with the city and the temple, and Esther deals with the people. Let me, let me say that again, uh, just the big, the big, big picture here. So Ezra deals with the, rest of the remnant, and the restoration of the city and the temple. Nehemiah deals with the restoration of the walls, the street and the walls shall be built in troublous times. And Esther deals with the people. And under Haman, when he tried to, uh, well, he's just really anti-Semitic and tried to get all all the Jews killed. And Shushan, at that time under Ahasuerus. So three historical books, Ezra, city and temple, Nehemiah, the walls, Esther, the people. Now the three prophetical books here, and the restoration period, we have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So it just gives you the big picture of the former prophets, the exilic prophets, the post-exilic prophets, right through to Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, then 400 silent years where God ceased to speak and said, look, you've got the prophets, listen to them. And then John, John comes along as the last and introduces. So John is sort of living at the overlap in there. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. introduces Messiah uh, the, uh, according to Daniel's 70-week prophecy. All right, so that sort of gives you the big picture here. All right, now go down to the bottom of page 7. So uh, the book opens with a call to repentance. All right, now page 7 down the bottom. We move into, and I'd like to try and do this in our... Time here. We have one, two, three, uh, four, four prophetic visions, and then there's a section missing on chapter two that I'll come to. So, uh, page seven through to nine. So, let's go to the bottom of page seven and catch on this briefly because I want to spend a little bit more time on the uh, full of visions. Now, the bottom of page seven has got uh, number Section 2, Symbolic Visions. As Ezekiel and Daniel, so Zechariah is characterized by a series of visions from the Lord. And this was part of the prophetic ministry. To anybody who's a prophet, I'll reveal myself to him in dream or vision. Symbolic or apocalyptical vision and suggested to be 8 or 10 or 12 visions. In, and for general outline, this section follows 12 visions. All right. Now, number one, the vision on page eight. Vision of the rider and the horses among the myrtle tree. First vision, and just uh, just uh, briefly, it is. Now you'll notice in uh, in uh, let's see. Uh, yes, uh, vision of the horses. So chapter one, verse seven. I'm reading, and you'll notice that. Right through to the, the first few chapters, nearly all the visions and prophecies that Zechariah gets are specifically dated. And so in uh, verse 7, upon the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shebat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the came to Zechariah. So you've got, you know, the 8th month, and then now the 24th day of the 11th month, uh, very specific in the first uh, verses there. I saw by night, behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses, red sorrel or red speckled and white. Now, right through Zechariah's prophecy, you'll see constantly a man or an angel or messenger. And uh, it seems, as I've studied this over the years, most expositors see that this man again is a Christophany the man Christ Jesus a Christophany appearing or angel of the Lord uh, the Jehovah angel. so varies. so uh, we, we don't have specific name later on to uh, brings forth the man whose name is the branch alright so now you'll notice here we have the first vision here and we have four horses signified. four horses signified. And uh, I'm only going to touch on these briefly, because as I said, I want to move into the more clearer visions. Um, the vision came by night to Zechariah. I saw by night, so a period of darkness, and think of what the remnant are going through. And the man, I believe in this case, on the red horse, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the theophantic revelation. And uh, as you go through this chapter, uh, this person is called a man, my Lord. The angel, the angel of the Lord. Or the Lord. So, uh, this man, all through this chapter, is referred to as a man, my Lord, the angel of the angel of the Lord. And most exposed to see the angel of the Lord as a, uh, a Christophany again. All right, we keep repeating that. All right, so uh, this man. So, first of all, we have the uh, red horse, and uh, most believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ of the red horse. Now, Red is always a sign of judgment, of warfare. Put down connection with Revelation chapter 6. The second horse, the second seal was a red horse. Revelation 6 and verse 4. So red horse, uh, chapter Revelation 6 verse 4. And red is always the color of war, bloodshed and battle. So red is the color of war, bloodshed and battle. So we think of the red horse, Christ riding on the red red horse in war and judgment in this case. When he comes the second time, in contrast, Christ is coming on a white horse. Here it's in judgment. And so in relating to what's happened here, there's been judgment on the nation in the Babylonian captivity. And then in the next part here, we have a red and then uh, red horses. And it's in the plural actually too. Speckled and then white, so we have the different color horses there, some say Bay but uh, summarizing what it's all about here that these horsemen, because when he asked, uh, I saw by night behold a man riding upon a red horse stood among the myrtle trees in the bottom, like in the valley there and behind him were horses, red, sole, and white. And then I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel talked with me, said to me, I will show you what they are. So this man, a young man's full of questions. And the man who stood among the royal trees and said, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So horses in the scripture, uh, and I just have to say some of these things. Just put down 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Horses in scripture are always symbolic of uh, spiritual powers. So remember in 2 Kings chapter 2, the young man who's with Elisha, he's worried about all the armies of the Syrians there that are on horses. And and, and so Elisha said, Lord, open the young man's eyes. And when his eyes were opened, he saw the mountain of the Lord full of chariots and horses. And so the prophet uh, Elisha said, more are they that are with us than with them. So spiritually, spiritual powers is when, when Jesus comes the second time, all the saints are coming with Him riding on horses. So if you don't like horse riding, you better get ready. <laughs> <laughs> riding on a horse when you come the second time. So it's symbolic of the power of the Spirit, support, uh, riding on a horse. So we think of the horses and chariots when Elijah, uh, yeah, when Elijah was raptured, uh Elisha asked for a double portion of his spirit he said, if you see me go, then you'll get the mantle. And so as the Elisha was coming down what happened? How was he wrapped it uh, horse and the chariot, the horses and chariots. And Elisha said, My 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 lord Elisha, the horses and the chariot. So symbolic of divine transport, that's what we are saying. So these horses are like God's cavalry and they've been through the earth. And so forth. Now, you'll notice the thing here now, it says these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. So in the, uh, uh, the empires that have come, the Babylon captivity, the Persian Empire, you'll notice the difference. Verse 11, so they answered the angel of the Lord, so man, angel the Lord, who stood among the myrtle trees and said, we, we have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. All right, brief briefly on that, uh, what has happened? These horses of judgment have gone forth uh, during the previous years, but now the Medo Persian Empire is in vogue. And under the Medo Persian Empire, it was relatively, particularly uh, this time, relatively a time of peace. That's what it's saying here. So the whole earth is still relatively a time of peace. Medo Persia has conquered Babylon, so it's relatively a time of peace. Alright, now let's go to the next uh, next part here, verses, <clears throat> verses 12 to 7, still under that vision of the ride and the horses among the, the uh, firm trees. In the book of Revelation, the same horses are horses of judgment, red horse, war, uh, the, the black horse, famine, uh, the pale horse, uh, disease and, and pestilence and so forth. So they're always horses of judgment. So these horses have been horses of judgment in the earth. And now, uh, underneath Persia, there's at least a little bit of peace. Because Persia gave them the the decree to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. So reasonably the earth is resting quietly. All right, now, in verses 12 onwards here, Then the angel of the Lord answered and said to me, uh, and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem, on the city of Judah, against which you you were angry these? notice it, 70 years. So referring to the 70 years Babylon captivity. So it gets you connecting with Daniel here. So let me read it again. So the angel of the Lord, these four horses have been in judgment, like the four horses in the book of Revelation, but now there's a little time of peace because Medo-Persia has come to power. And given them the decree of uh, restoration. But still, the question the angel Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy in Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which you were angry these 70 years? So, desolations of Judah and Jerusalem over the 70 years. Now, look at the Lord's response, because it's come time to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. That's what the next part's about. Rebuilding the temple and rebuilding Jerusalem. So the Lord answered the angel, who talked with me with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus saith say the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem, and for Zion with great zeal, I am exceedingly angry with the nations of east, for I was a little angry and they helped. But with evil intent. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to, to Jerusalem with mercy. So just link it up with what we've been doing on Daniel. Seventy weeks have determined upon your city, Jerusalem, and upon your people, Judah. So now seventy years of Babylon, captivity is captives have gone back, or a remnant of them, the first remnant. So he says, I'm returning to Jerusalem with mercy. And notice the second thing in verse 16: My house will be built in it. So the two things, the city and the temple. So Jerusalem's going to be uh, built again, God's with mercy, my house will be built in it, says the Lord. And the surveyor's line will be stretched over Jerusalem. And uh, again in verse 17, again proclaims, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities shall again spread out uh, spread out through prosperity, the Lord will again come to Jerusalem and will again choose Jerusalem. So you have to think, 70 years captivity, the Lord is now returning to Jerusalem. So, okay, Jerusalem rebuilt, and the temple, my house, will be rebuild. So that's what the prophecy is about. Four horses of judgment, now the return of the remnant, rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. That makes sense to everybody? Ask your question. Yes. That makes sense to everybody? Okay, now, verse 18. Brings us to the vision of the four horns. So page eight on your notes. So vision of the four horns, and uh, paraphrasing rather than read it all. He says, "I raise my eyes and I see four horns." Now, remember the horns in the book of Daniel, the ten horns, the little horn, so forth. Horns always symbolic of. Uh, of uh, uh, like the notable he go, he broke the horns of the ram. So horns are always symbolic of the power or kings and so forth. So here he sees four horns. So again the question. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? Now the interpretation is clear, or this will be clear. So he answered me, he said, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Four always the number of earth. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming in to do? So he said, and so uh, bringing on your notes here, page 8, page 8, the the vision of the four horns, the vision of the four carpenters, that's what we're bringing together here. So he says, uh, in interpreting, and I said, what are these coming in to do? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head, but the craftsmen or the... um, Depending on the translation, um what have we got here verse 20. Uh, yes, uh, old King James says, but the Lord shall be four carpenters or craftsmen, the ca- craftsmen or the carpenters are coming in to terrify them, to cast out of the, out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter them. So I've got it on your notes there. Four horns, page eight, on number two, vision of the four horns, the four horns that scattered Judah. Okay, the house of Judah. First of all, Babylon, then Medo-Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome. Some, some expires will even go back further than that. They'll, they'll go back, and you can put this down if you want to. They refer to Egypt, uh, Assyria, then Babylon, then Medo-Persia. So some expires say the four horns are the previous uh, world empires. Now, Yesterday, as we finished on Daniel, remember we said the seven heads on the, on the, on the beast. Right? The seven heads, uh, maybe, maybe we'll just uh, uh, do this again here. The seven heads are, all represent the seven world kingdoms in relation to Judah or Israel. So let's uh, remind you of this again because it helps us on this. The first head on the beast was the Egyptian empire. And the Egyptian Empire had to do with the whole nation of Israel. They were in bondage to Egypt for so many uh, hundred years. So the Egyptian oppressors, the uh, bondage in, in, in Egypt, then in the Exodus. Then the next head was the Assyrian head. And the Assyrian head had to do with the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, the house of Israel. So uh, they oppressed them, and so the house of Israel, the ten tribes, went into Assyrian captivity. So this is the 12 tribes under the Egyptian oppression until the Exodus, then the Assyrian. All right, number three, the next one we have, let's see if I missed something, Egyptian, Assyrian, uh, uh, Babylon. Okay, that's right, thank you. Okay, so Babylon, thank you. All right, Babylon, and so it brings you to the two tribes plus the priestly tribe or the house of Judah, which we're dealing with. And then... Uh, the next one was medo persia uh, so there were good and bad points, the good points of releasing the captive, but then under Haman's time in the book of Esther, which fits between Esther, uh, uh, between Ezra and Nehemiah, fits right in the middle of those chapters there, uh, Meda-Persian Empire and so forth. So some exposes say the four horns that oppressed uh, Israel was the Egyptian head, Assyrian Babylon, uh, head, Babylonian head, and Medo Persian. Alright, so there is a difference of opinion there, but I put down Babylon, Medo Persian, Greece, and Rome. Then uh, the third vision, the vision of the four carpenters, what are they going to do? They are going to rebuild and undo all the, uh, the evil that uh, these uh, previous uh, empires did. And this is all referring to the restoration. So the vision of the four carpenters. They're coming to terrify them or cast out the horns of the nations. Okay, so that's basically that. Basically, uh, the understanding there. All right, let's turn over now to page uh, nine. And we come to vision number four, and then the vision of the man with the measuring line. All right, now i missed some verses out there, and I'll give you that in a moment. Pardon me. Now, under, under the vision of the man with the measuring line, uh, to try and simplify some of this and not, not have a verse-by-verse verse commentary altogether, the main, uh, the main things about Zechariah chapter 1 and chapter 2, which we're just touching on high spots, is uh, verses 1 through the 6 is primarily a call to repentance, reminding them of the former, father, the former prophets and how their fathers didn't listen to the former prophets, Are you guys going to listen to the last of the prophets here? So that's uh, verses 1. Then uh, verses uh, 7 through to 11, the vision of the four horses that have brought judgment on the nation of Judah. And then the promise of the Lord to comfort Zion, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, and rebuild the cities of Judah that Babylon destroyed. Vision of the horns, just another way of saying the horns those kingdoms that have destroyed Judah and the four carpenters going to rebuild everything is going to be restored. So just pictures of restoration. Now in chapter 2, uh, here we have further prophecies concerning the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. And some tremendous prophecies here. So let's note the language verses 1 through to 5. And this is the vision of the man with the measuring line. So I lifted up my eyes, then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now, the prophecy before in verse 16 uh, confirms that, I'm, uh, Thus says the Lord, I'm returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house it shall be built, says the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. So, measuring line. So, my house. The temple and the city. So it's just uh, confirming that. So I raised my eyes and behold I looked and behold a man with a measuring line. And he said, so I said, question again, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, run, speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem shall be built Uh, shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. And you have to constantly think what they're going through. There's only a remnant. Then a second remnant came up, very disappointed with the numbers that were willing to leave Babylon. But the prophecy is, well, Jerusalem will be inhabited again without walls, and there will be a multitude of men and livestock in it. Now, look at the tremendous promise in verse 5. Uh, And it's really a supernatural thing because naturally it looked very bad. The walls of the city had not been rebuilt. And Nehemiah is around the time. They're struggling with rebuilding the walls and the opposition. And so in the midst of all that trouble that they're having with the walls in uh, in Nehemiah, the Lord says in verse 5, For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her. So even though you may not have completed the walls, I'm going to be a wall of fire. And, uh, you know, it's alluding to a custom there that, uh, that uh, when they will, uh, that sometimes the shepherds, they would build a wall of fire around there to keep away the wolves and so forth as a protection. And so it's that uh, sort of thought there, I'll be, I, I will be a wall of fire, even though you feel the walls uh, are not finished yet and uh, you know, you're defenseless and nothing to protect you, <coughs> I'm going to be a wall of fire. So it must have been very comforting to them and not only a wall of fire round about but I will be the glory in the midst. Now remember there's no Ark of the Covenant, there's no Shekinah glory. Haggai is saying the glory of the latter house will be great in the former. The people can't figure it out. But the Lord says, look, it's all in me. I will be to you a wall of fire uh, round about and I'll be the glory in the midst of her. So for them, going through all they are with the trouble on the rebuilding of the wall and the opposition they're getting, these must have be been very comforting words, uh, probably far more comforting to them than uh, in our in our situation. Now, verse six on your notes here, uh, page nine. I'm reading that prophecy is also along with the vision a typical fulfilment in the church measuring up to the divine standard of the God of the Word of God. So. We can take spiritual lessons and application interpretation would be back there, application. God's going to measure the church, the new Jerusalem, and measure up to the divine standard. And God will be a war of fire. He'll be the glory in the midst. So that would be uh, application. Okay, now, on your notes, I missed verses uh, 6 through to 13. <clears throat> 6 through to 13. And uh, he says here, Up, up, flee from the land of the north. All right? Again, keep, keep sort of reading the language in the light of the setting. Flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, I have spread you aboard like the four winds of heaven. Now, up in north, there's still people in Babylon. And prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah, they've given prophecies beforehand. Flee out of Babylon, get out of Babylon, come forth out of Babylon. But some are content to stay there. Some have left, and so there's still a call there. I have spread you aboard like the four winds of heaven. Scattered up Zion. Escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So you people are still in Babylon captivity. You're free to come back, but they don't want to. So here's a call. Come on, leave Babylon. Come back to Jerusalem. Help us in the work of restoration. That's the thing. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He that sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. So God's saying, you leave my apple alone. <laughs> <laughs> for surely I will shake my hand against them. So you know, the remnant, of, uh, you know, there's been about two remnants coming back to Jerusalem. But all the hassle they've had leaving Babylon, coming back to Jerusalem. So you've got to read the language in the light of uh, what they're going through. So he says, uh, surely I will shake my hand against them and they shall become spoiled. But then you'll know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So, come back. Alright, then prophecy in verse uh, 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Notice the contrast to the two daughters. Verse 7 Up Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. And then verse 10 Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Daughter of Babylon order of Zion. Zion representing the people of God. Babylon representing the people of Babylon. People of confusion. And you see, why don't you put this down without, uh, well, maybe we could just turn to this part here. Turn over to two Babylonian Psalms uh, in the light of what's happening, the remnant coming out of Babylon. Turn over to uh, Psalm 137. How many fear you sort of have to read the Bible more? How many are finding the more you know, the less you know? How many know that if you cut my veins open, a verse of Scripture would pop out? (laughs) I think every cell in my body is a verse of Scripture. I, I would bleed Scripture if you cut me. Okay, listen to a Babylonian psalm. And so appropriate here, Psalm 137. And it says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. So the Babylon captives at the time, and, we, and the city by the rivers of Babylon, the rivers of Babylon, the Tigris, the river Euphrates, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of And See, the prophet is saying back here, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in the midst of her. And uh, so the psalm says, uh, we, sat, uh, we sat down, there we sat down, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of, of it. And uh, uh, one of the gardeners in our fellowship, he told me that the, uh, that you know the name of the willow tree, we call it the weeping willow, but the, the, the proper name for it is uh, Babylonia tree. That's the very meaning of the weeping willow. So the Babylonian tree, so he was a gardener, he said, you know, weeping willows, but just that we wept. So no singing, there's no song. For there they, those who carried us away captive, asked us a song. And those who plundered us required us mirth and said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then look at this one. How can we sing the Lord's song in in a foreign land, in a strange land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem let my right hand forget its skill if i do not remember you let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if i do not exalt jerusalem above my chief joy so you can see how psalm 137, psalm of the captivity remember O lord against the day the sons uh, against the sons of Edom, the day of jerusalem who said raise it raise it to its very foundation o daughter of babylon who are to be destroyed happy the one who repays you as you've served us have the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock? Anybody composed a tune to that psalm yet? Only <laughs> yet. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. I'll go over to one other uh, psalm quickly here. Psalm 127. Uh, so two psalms of Babylon in captivity because you see... They've been in Babylon, you can't sing a song when you're in Babylonian captivity, not the song of the Lord. And spiritually speaking, an application would say, when churches are in spiritual confusion or spiritual Babylonian captivity, there's no song of the Lord. You hang your harp on the willow tree, there's no musical instruments, because you have to come out of Babylonian captivity. How many can say Amen? All right, go over to Psalm 126 quickly. And here's uh, the other psalm of the Babylon captivity at, at its end. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. You heard about the laughing revival. I said, well, what people say? what do you think about the laughing revival? I said, we've been crying enough. It would have hurt to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. And their response is, The Lord has done great things for us. Whereof we are sad, glad, men, sad. And then turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And listen to the tremendous promise They that sow in tears shall weep in joy. And he that soweth, goeth forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. You know, I like to apply that verse to the Lord Jesus. Uh, when he came the first time, he came sowing in tears the word of the Lord, but he will weep in joy. He, let's apply it to Christ. application. He, Jesus, that goes forth and weeps, weeping over the city of Jerusalem, bearing precious seed. The seed is the word. He will doubtless come again. And he said, if I go away, I'm going to come again. But this time I'll come not sowing. He'll come rejoicing with the harvest, bringing his sheaves with him. And I'm looking at some of those sheaves right here this morning. So two, two tremendous psalms of the Babylon captivity you can put there. All right, just before we take a break here, I want to finish this part here. So back to Zechariah chapter 2. Now, note the Messianic prophecy here because it reaches over from uh, Zechariah's time right down to where we are. And it says in uh, verse 10 again, Zechariah 2, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. So apply your Babylonian uh, captivity and, and, and release captivity psalms there. I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Lord. Now, Messianic prophecy. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. And they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you'll know that the Lord of Moses sent me to you, and the Lord shall inherit Judah, praise his portion, the Holy Land shall choose Jerusalem, be solid, of flesh, before the Lord. He is raised up out of his holy, holy habitation. All right, let's uh, put down a couple of scriptures here, and then we'll take our next break here. So Messianic prophecy, many nations to be joined to the Lord in that day, pointing to the gospel era. Isaiah chapter 2, you can just put these because I missed that section in my notes there. So Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's house shall be built and established at the top of the mountains. And what does it say? And all nations will flow to the house of the Lord. Not a rebuilt temple, but the church, God's house. So Isaiah chapter 2 verse uh, verses 2 to 4 Isaiah chapter 52 and verses 10 and 15 Isaiah 52 verse 10 and 15 and it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ he will sprinkle many nations so the Messiah says uh, there's no beauty in him that we should desire him Uh, when we look on his form uh, we cannot recognize him as a man but he will sprinkle many nations, so uh, Jesus sprinkling many nations with his blood. And then two other scriptures here, uh, or three, Matthew 24 and verse 14, Matthew 24 and verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for witness to all nations, and then shall the end come, so Matthew 24 verse 14, Matthew 28, Matthew 28 verse 18 to 20, Go and make disciples of all nations. Whereas everything was only for the chosen nation in the Old Testament, now, since the cross, everything is for all nations. So make disciples of all nations. And then one other scripture here, Luke 24. So this would all belong to the section missed on your notes there, uh, verses 6 through to 13, the gospel to the nations. Uh, Luke 24, verse 47. 24 Verse 47, and Jesus said, uh, You will be endued with power from on high, and you go and preach the gospel, forgiveness, uh, repentance, and forgiveness of sins uh, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So you notice here the link Jerusalem, many nations. So the gospel did go out from Jerusalem, literally, actually, we're not spiritualizing it. So, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the othermost parts of the earth. So, this section here, particularly verse 10 and 11, is prophetic of the gospel that's to go to all nations. Everybody say amen. amen. Alright, so that's, that's all we're going to cover on those uh, uh, visions there. They're just short visions, but uh, let me just finish on this, make sure we've got those loose ends again. So, verses 1 through the 6, call to repentance. And then uh, the next verse is the vision of the rider, the horses among the myrtle trees, four horses of judgment. Then the vision of the four horns, again, those horns that have scattered uh, Judah, those kingdoms. Then the four carpenters coming to restore, rebuild. Man with the measuring line, Rebe- measuring the, the, the city of Jerusalem. And then the, uh, the restoration of the temple and the gospel going to all nations. So that sort of summarizes uh, the high spots in Chapters 1 and 2. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. Visit KevinConnor.org for more information.